0: The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. You, Chad, to put that up. <laughs> Are you prepared for Christmas? This guy, he's prepared. <laughs> At least his house is prepared. You know, we spend a lot of time preparing our houses for Christmas The Jackson family even has a strategy for preparing our house for Christmas. We come back the Friday after Thanksgiving from visiting family. On Saturday, we load up the trailer. We go down to the local lot, and us as a family, we pick out a tree. We bring it home. We set it up. We let it breathe and stretch out some. Then on Sunday after church and the turkey bowl, we go home and We pull out the ornaments and we start hanging them on the tree, the bulbs, the lights. We now have little tiny bears that play songs. And then we set up the manger scenes around the house, the garland. We set up these little towns that light up. And we spend all this time preparing our house for Christmas. And I'm guessing many of you do too. But the question is, have you prepared your heart for Christmas? I mean, that's far more important, isn't it, to prepare our hearts for Christmas? And yet, if you're like me, you probably get so busy with preparing your house and getting the presents ready and getting your plans laid out that you neglect to prepare your heart for Christmas. And so today, this morning, I want to take the next 30 minutes or so to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to set aside all those other preparations and focus on the joy of Christmas, If you would please open up to Luke chapter 1 with me. It's page 855 in the Red Bible, page 1242 in the Children's Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look on with your neighbor. If they have a problem with that, tell them it's Christmas and they should get over it. It is a large passage, uh, as you can tell, 50 verses. And so we're going to break it down in chunks and read through it as we go. But this is the gospel account of Luke. And Luke was a man who investigated eyewitness testimonies to validate the story of Jesus. And he writes about the things leading up to the birth of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord God, as Chad confessed earlier, uh, we get so distracted, Lord. We are such a busy people with so many things to do and so many plans to make. that we fail to be still and to be captured by the glory of Christmas. And so, Lord, we pray that you would capture our hearts this morning for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are three things we're going to look at on how we should prepare our hearts for Christmas. First, we should prepare our hearts for Christmas by faith. Secondly, we should prepare our hearts for Christmas in humility. And third, we should prepare our hearts for Christmas with rejoicing. First, we must prepare our hearts for Christmas by faith. I'm guessing many of you are here today to prepare your hearts for Christmas, which is a great thing. But just because we are in church, just because we are a religious bunch, doesn't mean our hearts are prepared for Christmas by faith. Look with me in verse 5 as we start this story. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest. This is a professional religious guy, okay? A priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of So these were some righteous people. These were some good people, people that were role models in the faith community. Verse seven. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Just a side note for Elizabeth in this time to be barren as an old maid would have been a humiliating thing for her. And she mentions it even later that there is a reproach against her. People would have assumed that her barrenness would have been the judgment of God against her. They would have figured that she was barren because she wasn't fully woman. And so you can imagine how Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed night after night after night for the Lord to give them a child. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest, Zachariah, that is, before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, and the Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared and so the angel comes to Zechariah And he says, you know, that thing that you have been praying for decades and decades and decades, it is coming. You're going to have a child. And not only are you going to have a child, you have a son named John. And not only will we have a son named John, he will be an amazing man. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will prepare the way for God's people. He will turn many to the Lord. This is far more than Zachariah or Elizabeth would have been praying for. This is a great Promise from God through an amazing, awesome angel. And how would you expect Zachariah to respond? How would you expect a priest, a man of faith to respond? Well, you expect with joy and elation and faith, right? Let's look how he responds. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah was trembling because of the awesomeness of this angel. And yet he says to this angel, I don't believe you. Prove it to me. How can I know that this really will happen? Zachariah did not believe. He doubted the goodness and attentiveness and the power of God. Zechariah doubted that God could do the impossible. As a result, the angel rebuked Zechariah. Verse 19 says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their timing. You know, God is not punishing Zechariah, but he is disciplining Zechariah and wooing Zechariah back to himself, because what Zechariah had been preaching, Zechariah was not believing. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zachariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the people has done for so, excuse me, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So just to recap, the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah. Zechariah is afraid. The angel says, do not be afraid. And then the angel gives this great promise that his wife will miraculously conceive of a child. And this child will be great before the Lord. Now let's move on to verse 26. And I want you to see the parallel between Zechariah's story and Maris, Mary's story. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. There will be no end. Do you see the parallel between the two stories? The angel shows up. Mary or Zachariah are afraid. The angel says, it's okay, don't be afraid. Gabriel gives this amazing promise of a miraculous child that will be great in the kingdom of God. And remember, Zachariah responded with disbelief. How does Mary respond? Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? You know, Mary's response might be, might seem similar to us, but it is worlds apart. Even in her question, we can hear her faith. She says, how will this be? In other words, she believes that it will be. But she's wondering, how's it going to happen? And so she believes which Zechariah failed to do. And it goes on, verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived the Son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, the difference between these two is astounding. Zechariah was a priest, probably seminary trained. He was a man of prominence in the Jewish community. Mary was just this poor peasant girl who grew up in a Jewish home relatively unknown. Zechariah was older and wise. He was a man that Pope people probably came to for advice. Mary was just a teenage girl. The promise given to Zechariah, although not very possible, was still possible. And yet the promise given to Mary was completely impossible. And yet Zechariah, this man of faith and stature, responded with unbelief, but Mary responds in faith. And so whether you are coming to church for the first time or the thousandth time, how do you respond to Christmas? You may be very religious, sophisticated, righteous like Zechariah, but do you believe the promise that the Virgin Mary had conceived the son of the most high, conceived of a man whose kingdom would have no end. You know, science will tell you that this is impossible for a virgin to conceive. And science is absolutely true. It is impossible. But what the angel tells us is that God does the impossible. Do you believe in the miraculous? Do you believe with all of your heart that God became a man in the boy Jesus? Do you believe, not just intellectually, but do you believe to the point that you stake your life on it? One of the greatest illustrations of faith that I've found, I've shared with you before, but the faith that God calls us to is demonstrated in a story of a tightrope walker. This tightrope walker was known all over Paris. He would do tremendously scary acts, walking between buildings. He would even do it blindfolded. And then he would do it blindfolded while pushing a wheelbarrow. Well, a promoter in America read about this and he contacted this tightropist. And he said, I want to bring you over and I want you to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He said, I don't believe you can do it, but if you come and you do it, there will be a large sum of money for you. And so the tightropist Texted back, however that worked in that time. He said, I'd love to come. And so he came and the big day was coming and all the promotions were happening and the day finally comes. And there are, there are groups of people, hordes of people, and there are drum rolls as he starts on the Canadian side and is crossing over to the American side as, he is, as he's walking over these treacherous rocks and treacherous waters and treacherous rapids. And he comes across the tightrope blindfolded to the other side. And as he arrives to the other side, he he jumps off the rope and the crowd is cheering and celebrating. And he goes to the promoter and he says, well, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe I can do it? Well, of course I do, he said. I just saw you do it. He said, no, no. Do you really believe I can do it? He said, of course. I just witnessed you come across that rope blindfolded no no do you really 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 believe yes i really really believe you can do it and so the tightrope says to him get in the barrel get in the barrel and let's go back across niagara falls together you see the faith that god calls us to is not just an intellectual faith God calls us to get into the barrel, to put our entire life on this one truth, that God became a man. We must believe in the miraculous conception of Jesus. We must believe it as if our whole life and whole eternity depends on it, because it does. And so we are to prepare for Christmas by faith. Believing that God did the miraculous. Secondly, we must prepare our hearts for Christmas in humility. Throughout all of the scriptures, God is constantly opposing the proud, but giving grace to the humble. And we see it again in this passage. After the angel tells Mary that she will conceive, she responds humbly saying, Behold, I am the servant or the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do whatever you want with my life. Mary responded with humility because she grasped two important realities. Two things that that we must grasp in order to respond to this Christmas season in humility. The first is this, Mary grasped her unworthiness. Verse 46, Mary said, or sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary had a humble estate for many reasons. She came from a humble estate economically. She was a poor girl. She married a poor carpenter. We know how poor they are because when Jesus comes and he's dedicated at the temple, they give what is to be the sacrifice given only for the poorest of the poor in Israel. They give two turtle doves instead of a lamb. And so she was humble economically. She was also of a humble estate geographically. Even though Mary came from the line of David, she did not live in Jerusalem. She did not live in Judea. She lived in Nazareth. Nazareth, the town in which it has been said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is not the place where royalty dwelt. And so she was of a humble state financially and geographically, but she points to another reason, For her humble estate. And that is her humble estate spiritually. Verse 47. She says, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You know, there are some that believe that Mary was sinless. That she was without sin. The problem is Mary did not see herself that way. See, the only people that need a Savior... Are those that need saving. You know, if you went to the local swimming pool and you jump into the deep end, if you know how to swim, you don't need a savior, right? You don't need somebody to save you. But if you jump into the deep end and you sink like a rock because you don't know how to swim, you need someone to come and save you. And Mary is saying, I need a savior. God is my savior. Contrastingly, you never see Jesus call God his savior because Jesus does not need a savior. Because he is sinless and perfect. And yet here, Mary in humility confesses her own spiritual condition. That she was a helpless sinner in need of God to be her savior. We cannot enjoy Christmas until we understand that we do not deserve Christmas. We cannot enjoy Christmas until we understand our desperate need for a savior. And that is the first thing that Mary grasped. In humility, she grasped how unworthy she was for God to come to her. The second thing that Mary grasped was God's awesomeness. Look at with me in verse 48. She says in her song, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. Can you hear the awesomeness of God that she is singing about? Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary knows who she's interacting with. Mary knows that she's interacting with the almighty God of the universe. The God who created the world. The God who wiped out the world and recreated the world. She's engaged with the God who controlled the Egyptian empire, the Assyrian empire, the Babylonian empire, the Roman empire, and used all of them for his own bidding. She's interacting with a mighty God, an awesome God, an amazing God. And this is humbling to her. It should be humbling to us. There's a story of William Beebe, the naturalist, and he would tell the story of Teddy Roosevelt that at Sagamore Hill, after an evening of talk, the two would go out on the lawn and search the skies for a certain spot of star-like light near the lower left-hand corner of the great square of Pegasus. And then Roosevelt would find that spot and he would recite these words. He would say, that is the spiral galaxy in andromeda it is as large as our milky way it is one of a hundred million galaxies it consists of 100 billion suns each larger than our sun and then roosevelt would grin and say now i think we are small enough let's go to bed Have you been amazed by the majesty and power and might of God? He is an awesome God. In His creation, in His governing. And yet the greatest expression of God's power might just be Christmas. The greatest expression of God's power might just be Christmas. incarnation you know it's very interesting earlier in this passage when the angel appears to mary and tells her that she will that she will be with child mary turns to the angel and she asks how can i have a baby i'm a virgin and the angel responds in a very interesting way the angel says the holy spirit will come upon you and the power not the presence not the love not the gentleness but the power Of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Mary understood that the most mighty, most powerful, most awesome of God's works was to become a zygote, was to become next to nothing, to become a man inside a woman. God is so powerful that He could turn Himself into a single cell in the womb of a 13-year-old girl from Nazareth. If you want to prepare your heart... To enjoy Christmas more than you ever have before, we must confess our unworthiness to God, understanding our humble estate, that he is great, that he is glorious, that, that on this little blip of the universe earth, we are just a little blip on that little earth. And yet God has been mindful of us, that we have an awesome God that created all things and that we are unworthy even to be thought of by him. And yet that awesome God in Christmas is mindful of us. And he comes for us. And so our hearts should be humble this Christmas season as we consider the vast difference between what we deserve and what God has given us in Emmanuel, God with us. Finally, we must prepare our hearts for Christmas, not only by faith, not only with humility, but we must prepare for Christmas with rejoicing. In this passage that we're reading, Christmas Day hasn't come yet. Jesus has not yet been born. That doesn't come till several months later, and it's recorded later in Luke chapter 2. But here in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, we see the rejoicing of the hearts of those that are anticipating the birth of Jesus. Read along with me, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. John the Baptist, in her womb, rejoicing, celebrating at this little fetus, Jesus. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me that the mother of my lord shall come to me you know elizabeth's response is always kind of amazed me because if mary was coming up the path and elizabeth would see her my what i would expect elizabeth to say is guess what mary i'm finally pregnant We've been praying for this for a really long time, but an angel appeared to Zachariah and Zachariah was told that our son will be great and I'm pregnant and I'm going to give birth and we're going to name him John and it's going to be amazing. But that's not how she responds to Mary coming. She responds to Mary's coming with humility. Why would you come to me? Why would the mother of my Lord come to me with rejoicing by something even far greater than John? a good news that captivated her heart more than even her own conception the long awaited savior had been conceived verse 44 for behold when this when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy again he rejoiced and then this this interesting verse and blessed is she who believed unlike her husband zechariah right <laughs> Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, some time passes between when they meet and when Mary goes into this song of praise. It's called the Magnificat. You've probably heard of it before. It's potentially the first Christmas song. And Mary starts out by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices her soul, her spirit, her whole personhood finally began to rejoice. J.C. Ryle, the commentator, says she gives expression with her lips to what has been treasured in her heart. Now you might say, of course Mary rejoiced. An angel showed up to her and said, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. Of course she was happy. Of course she was elated. But if we say that, It just shows that we're ignorant of her situation. You see, if anyone had reason not to sing, not to rejoice at Christmas, it was Mary. If you remember earlier when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, Mary doesn't respond with joy. She more responds with faith, but also bewilderment. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? You see, for a 13-year-old unwed girl to be pregnant meant that her life was probably ruined. She had no reason to believe that Joseph, who she was engaged to, would marry her. In fact, he was going to divorce her except for the intervention of God. Mary would have known that as a a young woman with a child that that almost nobody would want to marry her, that she was damaged goods, and so she would live the rest of her life as a marginalized human being on the verge of poverty. And, And that's just a good scenario. I mean, the bad scenario is that they stone her and they kill her because of adultery. And so you see, if anyone had reason not to rejoice, it was Mary. She must have been so afraid. And that's why I think in verse 39, it says Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country. She was running for her life. She knew that this baby would potentially take away her wedding, her reputation, and even her life. And yet when she visited Elizabeth and the truth of what was happening grabbed hold of her heart, her confusion and sorrow turned to great joy. Mary rejoices because she finally gets it. She finally understands what John the Baptist and what Elizabeth were rejoicing in, that God had come to take care of our most fundamental need. She says, and my spirit rejoices in God." My Savior. Let me read this quote to you. The source is unknown, but it says this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. God didn't just need to teach us how to be better. He didn't just need to provide a moral example. God knew that we needed a Savior. Do you remember earlier in the Philippians story, in Philippians chapter 2, when it told us Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man that's christmas and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross you know the incarnation god becoming a man reminds us that our spiritual condition is much worse than we ever thought it was you see in all other religions Their God sends prophets or teachers or men to correct people, to fix them, that they would be better in order that they could achieve God's acceptance. But the incarnation tells us that our sin problem is so bad and that God loves us so much that God did not merely send a man. God sent himself to become a man. That he might live on our behalf, take on our sin and our shame and pay for it in full At the cross. And that is worth rejoicing in. That at Christmas, God has sent His Savior. Let me end with this. In verse 46 again, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant." You know, the last book of the Old Testament before Jesus was the book of Malachi, which was written 400 years before Jesus. I mean, let that soak in. 400 years before Jesus was the last writing of Scripture. And so for 400 years, the people of God had wondered, has God abandoned us? Have we screwed up too much? Have we sinned too greatly? Have we run too far away from God? Has God given up on us? Christmas means the answer to all of those questions is no. Christmas means that God has not abandoned you. Christmas means that you have not screwed up too much for him to still love you. Christmas means that you have not run too far away from God. And Christmas means that God has not given up on you or his people. Christmas means... That God has remembered us, has been mindful of us, has looked upon our humble estate and sent a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In a minute, we're going to sing a song that many of you are familiar with, Joy to the World. And it has many fantastic lyrics. One of the lyrics, it starts like this. It says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. And then it says, let every heart receive. Prepare Him room. Is there room for Jesus this Christmas? (laughs) Is life too busy, too chaotic? You know, it takes intentionality to prepare our house. It also takes intentionality to prepare our hearts to receive Christ with joy. Creating room for Jesus might mean meditating on the fact that God came humbly, It might mean grasping our unworthiness, grasping God's awesomeness, and then rejoicing that God in His his infinite mercy and love and grace did not send a teacher, but He sent a Savior. And for that, we rejoice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for coming. You are the awesome, holy, and amazing God And you did not just send angels. You did not just send prophets and teachers and wise men. You sent yourself. To save us. To save us from our sins. Lord God, humble us. Humble us by your greatness. And by our sinfulness. And let us rejoice in God our Savior. Lord, as we turn to your supper We pray that you would nourish us in our faith. That you would remind us that we need you in order to prepare our hearts. That we can't do it on our own. That we can't do it in our own power. But that we need your power working in us to prepare us to rejoice in the incarnation this Christmas season. Lord, pray you would place these elements apart to special use in our lives, that it would not just be bread and juice, but it would be nutrients for our soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.